with that, <laughs> I love this story. And just for, just for grins, I am going to read the middle of the story to you. That may not make any sense. If you're not familiar with the story, well, what a great story it is. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Acts chapter 12, verse 15. You're out of your mind. And that doesn't have anything to do with what I just told you about Chris. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Pray with me. Father, as we come to you today, I pray that you would help us to understand the beauty and the amazing moment these words were spoken. How astonishing are your ways. You have authority over any government, any people, any religion. You do what you want to do because you're a God. Help us to understand that this day along with this beautiful passage in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This morning's message is entitled, Building Friendships. Today's part one, part two will be next Sunday, so you want to be here for that. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, more uh, pragmatic ways that you can build friendships, strategies for building friendships, and so you want to, to see that next week. Um, as we begin today, I want to introduce you to a man in the Bible that we often call John Mark. Now, our Sunday school groups and small groups are going through a study out of the Gospel of Mark, and so some of this will be familiar to you. If you're not familiar with John Mark, then the question is, who was John Mark? We don't have a lot in the Bible about John Mark. Uh, we have very little information which is astonishing because he's likely the, the writer of one of the four Gospels. It brings up the challenge that the, the creators of The Chosen have because there's so much information we simply don't have. They have to put it together in a cohesive miniseries. But for example, the disciples, we don't know who their wives were. Did they have kids? We, we don't know the backstory on most of them. Now, for our study today with John Mark, we know almost nothing about him. We know that he had a mom because everybody has a mom. We do know his mom's name was Mary, not Mary the mother of Jesus, not Mary Magdala. It's a different Mary, common name at the time, but uh, it will be in our story today and we'll get to that in just a minute. So, <clears throat> by the way, here's what you need to know about John Mark. First of all, he didn't go by the name John Mark. We made that up. <laughs> we call him that because of passages, and I'll read two, the, two of them to you. Acts chapter 12, verse 11, look there first with me. This is the first time we hear of him in the Bible. He was not one of the disciples, by the way. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Now, that's usually how he's in there, where many people had gathered and were praying. That's another segment of the story that I'll put together in just a minute. But Acts chapter 12, verse 25, just a little further down in the same chapter, says, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. 
So he wasn't called John Mark, he was called John by some and Mark by others, but probably never called John Mark until long after he, he died. Is that not interesting? Now the reason we call him John Mark and the reason it designates him as John also called Mark is because both John and Mark were extremely common names at the time. People did not have last names. They would often associate their name with where they're from. Jesus of Nazareth, for example, they did that. But other times they would find ways to distinguish their names with, uh, with, with other things or they would have a nickname for them. There were two Judases among the disciples. Judas Iscariot, and then there was the other Judas. And so there is a distinction between their names in, Bible, in the Bible so that you know which Judas we're talking about when, when the writer mentions it. So to distinguish John Mark, we already have a disciple named John. And so they called him John, but also would call him Mark. If John is around, my guess is not to get them confused. So they came up with another name. So John Mark was not his, his name. He could be called John or Mark. And by the way, we remember him mostly as Mark, as who we think was the writer of the gospel. Second, Mark was not one of the disciples, so he was not present for much of the content of his own gospel, the gospel of Mark. By the way, many believe that Mark was the first of the gospels ever written. There's a big debate about that because theologians like to debate about everything. But the four gospels talk about the same events from four different perspectives. And you might ask the question, how can Mark have a perspective if he wasn't there? He wasn't one of the disciples. Well, the reason that Mark had a perspective was because he became, after the resurrection, a very good friend and traveling companion of who? Of Peter. He went everywhere with Peter and heard Peter, all of Peter's sermons, traveled probably thousands of hours because they didn't go Spirit Airlines. We went Spirit Airlines, by the way, <laughs> which is why they took us through Las Vegas because apparently Spirit Airlines thinks that Las Vegas is on the way to Boise. They walked everywhere. And, and spent a lot of time together. And so he had all of those hours, days, weeks, months, or years to hear from Peter, talk to Peter, ask Peter about his perspective of what happened. And so he then wrote the Gospel of Mark <coughs> based on Peter. And, and in other words, he became kind of what we would call a ghostwriter for Peter. But the book bears his name. So the testimony that we see and the perspective that we see in the Gospel of Mark is often the perspective and testimony of Peter. So you need to be aware of that. By the way, many of you already know this. John Mark, and I'm calling him John Mark because that's what we call him. Sorry, John Mark, if you're listening. He was also the source of a serious conflict in the New Testament. You know, I think of you, you and I think of the disciples and, and the and the gospel writers as, you know, they're they're pillars of the church. They're amazing men, but they were men, <laughs> and men sometimes don't get along. During the first missionary journey, as you well know, Paul and Barnabas took along Mark, as we read a while ago. But in the midst of the journey, John Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem, and apparently Paul didn't take that too well. So they got ready after they finished their, their missionary journey to prepare a second missionary journey. And Barnabas, who we think was likely the cousin of John Mark, 
Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. And Paul said, nope, uh, uh, no, no, that's a bad idea. Now, logically, it's understandable that Paul would think that because he bailed on them the first time. And if you bail on them the first time, you're probably not going to want to take them the second time. So I understand his perspective. Barnabas, being gracious, wanted to give him another chance. And I understand that perspective too. But the two men had such a sharp disagreement that they ended up going on two separate missionary journeys. Barnabas would take John Mark with him and uh, Paul would take who? Silas. He took Silas with him. And so God used it for his glory in those two different missionary journeys with those two teams. And by the way, both teams would have been great teams. But time changed Paul's mind and his attitude. Many years later, after most of his friends had deserted him, Paul asked for Mark specifically in 2 Timothy. Look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. This is Paul writing young, timid Timothy. Paul is near the end of his ministry and near the end of his life. And he says this to Timothy. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Well, I don't know Demas, but he's famous for one thing only. He deserted the Apostle Paul, you scoundrel. <laughs> and there's no undoing that. He just mentions him in a single sentence and it's enough. We don't like Demas whoever he was, he abandoned him. And then he says, Cretans, uh, yeah, Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. So th those two guys are gone also, but he, he sent them. Verse 11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now this is a fascinating statement to me. Because Paul could be requesting anybody. He's the apostle Paul. How many relationships has he, has he forged? How many friendships does he have? Surely he's got a whole list of people that would drop whatever they're doing to go tend the apostle Paul for the rest of his life until he's executed. But he asked for John Mark. By the way, in this passage, as you notice, he doesn't call him John Mark anymore or John, who is all called Mark. He just says, bring Mark. <laughs> I want you to bring Mark. Now, it is true. Now, I want you to think about this just a minute. That this is the Apostle Paul. And he's got one guy with him. Who is it? No, it's Luke. He's got Luke with him, one of the gospel writers. And he's the only one there. It's just, it's just Paul in prison and Luke. And he asked for Mark, one of the other gospel writers. So Paul spends the rest of his life, the, the final days of his life, with Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark, and Luke, who wrote Luke in Acts. Now, I would love, again, we don't have this. I, Chris June was in the first service, and I turned to Chris, who's a producer for The Chosen, and I said, I would love for The Chosen to do a mini-series on that group, just in the time that they're there, Paul, Mark, and Luke together in the same place. Wow, wow. Now, unfortunately, we don't have any of that, sorry. They'd have to make up the whole thing, and then people would be mad. 
<laughs> but that would be interesting. So it's these guys together. And it may be that, that Paul is, is thinking, you know, I need to talk to Mark. I want him to finish his gospel. I need to get him out, for, uh, get, it, get it circulated so people can read it and be inspired by it and use it for, for a, a testimony witness of Peter as to the life and the ministry of Jesus. Maybe he was thinking logistically like that or evangelistically like that. But I think it's more than that. I have visited many church members over the years that were in hospice care. I've been pastoring for 31 years, 25 and a half of it here. And some of the most wonderful members I've ever had are in heaven now. And so I, I was there with their family when they passed or they were near passing. And many of you know who I'm talking about. It was one of your family members, one of your loved ones, your parents or your spouse or one of your kids when they passed. And when you're in hospice care, and for those of you who are young, youth, if you don't know what hospice care is, hospice care is kind of a, 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 a preparation for death phase at the hospital when they know that you're not going to ever leave the hospital. The last hours, days, or the last week or so of your life, they have what they call palliative care, hospice care, to prepare you and your family, your loved ones, for your ultimate demise. And we're all gonna die, so everybody in this room, unless your driving gets to you, that's probably how I'll go, but, uh, if you, if you don't get killed in a car wreck or something like that, you're going to find yourself in hospice care. Here's what I've noticed about hospice care. Over the years, I've noticed that nobody in hospice care ever, for example, uh, invites the IRS agent to come spend time with them. They don't call the county, county tax collector. They, they don't call that pesky neighbor down the street that they've never gotten along with. The, the people that they want there in their final hours are people that they love and that love them. They're people that have a history with them. It's family and close friends and fellow church members. They're very guarded, and I can certainly understand about who they're going to allow. They don't want just acquaintances. They want those that they love the most and are loved by the most. So when Paul, in his final days, asked for Mark, something has radically happened in his disagreement that he'd had years earlier with Barnabas to this time where he says, you know, here I am alone. I want Mark. It tells me that Mark was a good friend. He, he had a particular character uh, that... Uh, Paul wanted to be around. Which, by the way, brings up, finally, <laughs> the subject for today's message is building friendships. I assure you, Paul didn't go from there to there arbitrarily. Something happened. It was probably month after month, year after year, of, that we don't have this information of John Mark building bridges with the Apostle Paul. Some of it had to do with Paul just getting older and he understood uh, uh, John Mark better and repaired that relationship. But it was important to him. Are you a friend? 
Are you a good friend? Are you the friend that people would call if they were on hospice care? Um, Now, what if I told you that one of your best friends that would be there with you in the final hours of your life, one of your absolute best friends was a visitor in this church that showed up today and you don't even know them from Adam. On the way out, you're going to greet them, shake their hand, and you don't know that they're going to become your best friend in the world. After the first service, one of the ladies in the church came up to me and she mentioned two couples, both of which are here in this church. She said, <clears throat> they, they predated this church. She said, I met both of these couples. My husband and I met both of these couples while we were in church. What if the person that's visiting today is that best friend and you go out the wrong door? <laughs> Or you slip out the back and you don't greet anybody. What if that person who would have been your best friend visited last Sunday and you didn't even pay any attention to them? Now, I'm not trying to guilt you into anything, but I do want you to have a perspective that God sends people in our life, but that doesn't guarantee anything. He puts us together, but we have to be intentional about forming those friendships. I don't know the visitors that are here today but I trust that they're good people. I mean, they didn't come in here with ulterior motives. You know, they're, it's not a hate group or it's not, you know, they didn't come here for the food. We don't have any food. We, you know, they, they're here. They're good people. And I want us to get to know them. It is an opportunity for you, but also an opportunity for me. I'm a pastor, but I'm also a human being. I need friends true too, just like, the Apostle Paul. Now, I, I've told you this before. I take reviews online about our church and any other church with a grain of salt because some people just like to leave reviews. Some people like to leave bad reviews everywhere they go. The worst review that we've gotten here at the church, and, and by the way, our reviews are overwhelmingly positive. It's, we have about 70 reviews. Don't read them, but they're, they're almost all wonderful reviews, five stars, that kind of thing. I don't, I don't review churches. I, it's, it's an odd thing to me because we're not a car dealer. I don't know why you would do that. Anyway, but one guy, he, he, he gave us like one star, two stars out of five. And then I looked up his thing. He, he gave an even worse review to a local restaurant because their beer was too expensive. And so, so you got to take those reviews with a grain of salt. Okay, bless their hearts. And so, uh, but then we had one person, and I've mentioned this person to you. They, re, they visited here a year or two ago, and they, they gave the church, I think, two stars. And what they said to me, though, I'd never forgotten. They said that nobody greeted them. But here's what got me was the last clause of the sentence of her review. She said she sat there and she felt invisible. Now, by the way, I think this is a super friendly church. You guys are friendly people. And if you're visiting today, we're accustomed to having lots of visitors because we're on the main road. We've, we're used to having lots of people come in here. And so we like visitors, 
But just because we like visitors in our heart doesn't sometimes make it out of our mouth and in our eyes and convey that to them. They don't know we like visitors unless we share that with them. Does that make sense? And so somehow she fell through the cracks and she felt invisible. And I think for most visitors, they, they equate being noticed or unnoticed with unfriendly. And they equate unfriendly as unwanted. And nothing could be the fur further from the truth. For guests, we want you here. God wants you here. Um, but sometimes we, we miss somebody. And here's my challenge to visitors as well. <clears throat> when you walk out today, greet somebody. And you say, well, I don't know them. Well, nobody knows you either. <laughs> We're all on even ground. So let's greet one another. What I told the congregation just now is that there may be a visitor today that will be your best friend in the world. Also applies to our visitors. You may today meet the best friend you'll ever have in this place. Don't miss that opportunity just because you're a visitor or an introverted member. Take advantage of that. I, I want to tell you a funny story Ironically, it's in the midst of the introduction of John Mark that I read to you at the beginning. Here's what happened. Peter's in prison. Now, usually in the first century, I mean, we have prisons everywhere today. You go there for years or decades, and they just kind of throw away the key for some people. That wasn't the case there. They didn't have facilities for that. Prisons were short-term places until you were released or executed. <clears throat> and so if you were in prison... That meant it could be the last day of your life. And so Peter's in prison and he is being heavily guarded. In fact, uh, the gospel writer tells us that there were actually four groups of guards guarding Peter. An angel comes in, says, get up, get, get, get ready, let's go. We're, we're out of here. <laughs> so... And so he does, he gets up, he's sleeping, he gets up and he just walks right out, all those guards around him, none of them have any idea what's going on, they don't, God's blinded them all and they just walk right out of the prison. The, the angel disappears and Peter kind of comes to his senses because I think he thinks it's all a dream and he realizes this is not a dream. I just was busted out of prison by an angel. That's awesome. Where do you go when an angel busts you out of prison? By the way, if you're in prison, the one visitor you really want is an angel. <laughs> I've never been in prison, but that's going to be my first request. If I ever go, I'd like to have an angel come visit me and, and I'll just follow him out. So that's what happened. So he then decides to go to Mary's house, who's the mother of John Mark. And in doing that, I don't know if Peter knows this or not, but there, the house is packed out because they're having a prayer meeting for Peter, that God will deliver Peter. Now, I get the impression that their understanding of God's deliverance is a little short-sighted. I think they may be praying, God, would you, would you see to it that Peter is protected and they don't execute him? I, they clearly have no expectations of him knocking on the door because of what's about to happen. Look with me in Acts chapter 12, verse 11. 
Then Peter, this is right out of prison. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating, which was his death. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And again, they were praying for his deliverance. Peter, <laughs> Peter knocked at the outer entrance because there was an outer gate and then there was the inner gate, which is the door to the house. And so there is an outer door to the compound. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Now, why are they saying it's his angel? Because it can't be Peter, uh, because Peter's in jail and nobody gets out of jail. So it's funny, they're praying for his deliverance. <coughs> God delivers him and they don't believe it, which makes me wonder about our prayer life. And the things you and I ask for, God, would you grant this? Would you do this in our, in our world, in our nation, in our church? And if God does it, we're all shocked and surprised because that's what happened to them. In fact, they're having this debate with her and calling her crazy. In the meantime, Peter's still out there going, why, why, he's feeling rejected probably by now, going, why, why won't they answer the door? And verse 16 but Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Now, in retrospect, I'm sure they would love to have been able to say or have this written about them. They opened the door and said, we've been praying for you. That's why you're released. We expected you to knock any moment. We're not surprised at all. But that's not what happened. Of course, they were astonished because Peter was supposed to be chained up in jail and people never escaped jail. They didn't get out of jail. They usually executed them on their way out if they tried to get out. Of course, we all pray for miraculous things, for God's intervention, but when he does so, try not to look as astonished as they did. <laughs> but here's my point of the story. Poor Rhoda. <laughs> Bless her heart, she's a little servant girl and she's now famous throughout all of history, infamous, because she left Peter standing at the door. And here's the thing, was she sad that Peter was there or happy? She was happy. She was so happy, she forgot to invite him in. I am happy, visitors, that you're here. I know the members are happy that you're here. But members and regular attenders don't get so happy that you forget to let them in. <laughs> you have to be intentional and make a point to connect with them. She just left Peter standing out there. I wonder, again, it doesn't give us a timeline. I'm Western, I want a timeline. I wonder how long they had the discussion before one of them said, why don't we go to the door and see, why, why are we debating this? Let's just go to the door. A few weeks ago, our associate pastor, Chris, who I just threw under the bus, <laughs> he sent out a survey to the congregation and sent it to all your emails. 
And many of you responded. We were actually surprised at how many of you responded. And the, the survey had to do with uh, um, what, what priorities brought you to visit with First Baptist Church when you were visiting, and what things did you notice that caused you to come back to First Baptist Church? And on that subject, he said, what, what, do you, what is important to you in a church? When you visit a church, as a visitor, what, what do you think is important to this church? <clears throat> now, I'm not going to tell you anybody's response, or I'm not going to read any responses. First of all, the responses were anonymous, so I don't know who wrote them. I mean, there was one snarky comment that I found out later was from a staff member <laughs> who was trying to cause trouble. Won't, I won't mention her name. Anyway... But other than that, I don't know who wrote what, but I did appreciate hearing from you as to what is important to you and what you think is important to, to a church. And overwhelmingly, you felt that the most important things in church are biblical preaching and friendliness. Most of you mentioned one or both of those two things. And churches should be friendly and the preaching should be biblical. Those are not wrong answers. I think that they're not complete answers, and so I want to talk to you just a little bit about that. <clears throat> a survey of spiritual seekers released last year found that the top motivators for considering a church were knowing that everyone will be welcomed, 32% said that, 29% said they wanted to make friends and nurture friendships. So if you do the, the math, 32 and 29 is over 50, whatever that is, uh, 61%, oh, that hurt, um, spoke about being, in, being welcomed and meeting friends, the, the majority. And another 28% said they wanted support during difficult times. And, the, and then 27% said they wanted to learn more about God, which I don't know how to take that. I, I would hope it'd be a little higher than that. <clears throat> By the way, uh, on this note, I want to share with you the bad doctrine of the week. <laughs> Here we go. It's not you. It's not the survey. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, I, I, I'm old, so I'm on Facebook, and uh, there is this all about Azel page on Facebook, and oh, at least once a month, sometimes more, somebody will post on all about Azel on Facebook. I'm new in the Azel area. I'm looking for a church home. What's a good church to go to? And then here we go. I mean, there's like 50 million responses and many of you respond. By the way, thank you for, for, for saying nice things about the church. I always want to encourage that. But it turns into something of a contest. Uh, it almost seems democratic. Those, the ones who make enough nice comments, as, uh, comments about their church, well, that's the winning church. And I'm assuming they go to the church that most people talk about. Doctrinally, that's messed up. I, I have to tell you right off the bat, what is your criteria for going to church? Now, again, the church should be friendly. The preaching should be biblical and the music should be pleasant to God. I don't really care what you think as much <laughs> because you're, you're, the, you're the fellow participant. It's not the praise team here going here. It's the praise team and you going here. That's what we do. Even now in the sermon, it's not just me spewing out stuff. 
I hope you're sitting there as a part of your worship, learning, reading God's word uh, so that we can be the believers that God calls us to be. It, it, is, a, it is a joint exercise. Uh, it, it, worship works that way. So what's wrong with that? Well, that's not how God's guidance work. God is God. He's not democratic. There's no vote. Biblically, I can tell you that through the Holy Spirit, God will tell you where to go and you need to go there. You don't want to have this conversation with God on Judgment Day where you say, God, I was going to go to this church that I felt you leading me to go to, but I, I got a terrible parking spot. <laughs> or the music, it was this way or that way or, or the pre... If God wants you to go there, you need to go there. You know, if you don't like me, God bless you. Don't let that stop you. If God is leading you here, you need to be here. If people aren't being friendly or they're being overly friendly, in the end, doctrinally, the path of blessing for you is to be in the place that God has planted you. And so uh, those things are important. Those other things are important. I don't want to minimize them, but you go where God tells you to go. To make matters worse, the request that they make on Facebook is off, all, almost always complete with a list of stuff they want in a home church. It usually goes something like this. I want a church that is friendly, has great preaching, a clean, wonderful nursery for my baby, great programs for my kids and my youth, great music, but not too old or too new or too loud, you know, just right. And everyone should be singing, except for me, of course. I don't sing, but I want you to sing. And so you see, they don't actually say that, but I think that that's a lot of people have this list of stuff. I want the sermons to be biblical, in other words, not boring. And I want the pastor to be challenging, but not too pushy. Also, I want a good parking spot. Of course, God's not interested in your criteria at all. He wants you to go where he tells you to go, whether you like the preaching and the music or not, and he definitely doesn't care about your parking spot. He has a place for you, a place of blessing for you. Find that place, then serve, give, volunteer, sing, participate, worship, teach, and be the friendly person there for all the future visitors. I think God might say, stop trying to order church like a pizza. And that's the bad doctrine of the week. Okay, all right, enough, enough of that rabbit. But statistically, most agree with the Facebook criteria. Fully, 83%, according to one survey, of Americans who have looked for a new place of worship say that the quality of preaching played an important role in their choice of congregation. Nearly as many say that it was important to feel welcomed by clergy and lay leaders and about three quarters said the style of worship service influenced their decision as well. So of those three criteria, one of them is friendliness as well. Even though I think that people should join whether they feel welcomed or not, it does not get us off the hook to be welcoming. You and I are supposed to be kind, friendly people. Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica in chapter 5, verse 15. What a great verse. Listen to what he says. He says to them and to you and I, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. I get that. Let's say you're, you, somebody honks at you and you honk back. That's, this is the verse I forgot. 
<laughs> okay? <laughs> Sorry, Lord. Uh, of course, they didn't, to be fair, Paul didn't have a, he didn't have a sports car. <laughs> Maybe he had a sport camel. I don't know, but they didn't have horns on them. So anyway, he says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. That is so hard to do. That's hard because people are honoring. And sometimes we want them to know that we, are, we have come to that conclusion. We have made that assessment. We want to help them somehow. All right. He says, but here's what you're supposed to do instead. Always try to be kind to each other and to everybody else. Because I think he knew that there are members of that church in Thessalonica that would read that and say, oh, each other. We are nice to each other. We just don't care for other people. <laughs> and so he puts that last clause. It's the last clause that's so hard. Be kind to each other and to everybody else. Whoever comes to those doors and whoever God puts in the path of your life, be a friend. Tom Rainier, who, is, um, who was the president of Lifeway and author of books, and he's a well-known speaker, he wrote um, an article and probably books about what he calls GFCs. GFC stands for Genuinely Friendly Church. He said that out of, out of 100 churches, uh, less than 80 of them qualify to be a genuinely friendly church. Only, excuse me, only 20 of them qualify. 80% don't qualify. And I probably did the math wrong. I'll, tell you, I'll confess in a minute. But here's what he said about genuinely friendly churches. He says 80% of churches that he has encountered did not qualify in his, according to, he had 15 criteria, according to his criteria, that they were not actually a genuinely friendly church. But he said every one of those churches, every one of the 80% thought that they were a friendly church, even though they really weren't. He said that there is a profound difference, he discovered, between genuinely friendly churches and not-so-friendly churches in that genuinely friendly churches, among other things, had a six times better return rate with their visitors. The visitors were six times more likely to come back because people, we want to be where people like us. We don't want to be where people don't like us. And that's pretty logical. He said, genuinely friendly churches are intentional about being friendly. Warmth and friendliness are clear values to these churches. They are articulated regularly. All organizations, listen to what he says, including churches, naturally drift toward an inward focus unless they are otherwise intentional. And is that not true? It's all us on Facebook. <clears throat> when everybody's defending their church, I've never had anybody recommend another church. Everybody recommends their own church. It's us. Come see us. Come be a part of us. And I, I'm not sure that's always entirely healthy. Here's what I want you to post. And it, it will sound real preachy. They'll know I put you up to it. Post this. You go where God tells you to go and just leave it at that. <laughs> I think you should go. I love my church. It's a great church. But I want you to go where God tells you to go. You be obedient to him. He'll guide you. He'll lead you instead of just telling them a big list of programs and trying to get in the better commercial than the other church has. Are you a friend? 
Are you a friend like the servant girl who was so happy that she forgot to invite Peter in? Or are you a true friend like John Mark who went no telling how far to be with his dear friend Paul in the final days of his life when everyone had deserted him? Be that friend this week, starting right now. Pray with me. Father, as we come to you this morning, I, I pray that you would challenge us, myself included, to increase our ability to be friendly to others, not just to think about being friendly or call ourselves friendly, but to be friendly. And help us to understand what that looks like. What is a friend? How do we do that? Now, most of us have friends, and so we have some idea. I pray that you would help us to be cognitive of that, intentional about being friendly to others, especially here in your kingdom. Help us to be aware the best, most dear friends in our life may be people that we have not met yet. Maybe they walked in this morning. I pray that we don't miss them. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you today to be like John Mark and Paul? To develop, to grow, to nurture friendships into something so meaningful that in the final hours of their life, they ask for you. Be that kind of friend, that level of friendship. God will give you the ability. Listen, as you're praying, listen to this. Christians have a power to be friends on a level this world does not understand because we have the Holy Spirit. And we have the knowledge of the sacrifice of our Savior. We have experienced His mercy. What a blessing. And that should affect us and how we speak to others and talk to them and talk about them. Maybe God is calling you to make a decision this morning and I challenge you to do this. Between you and your God, right where you are, you don't have to raise your hand or get up or anything, just right where you are, between you and your God, say, God, I pray that you would put someone in my path today to whom I might be a friend and then be intentional about that challenge because God will do it. Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church and you want to serve him faithfully here and you know God is leading you to do that. Come forward this morning and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. Maybe you just want to come in prayer. Maybe you want to give your life to Christ. I challenge you to do that. If the Spirit is leading, now's the time. Come up here in just a moment and say, Pastor, I want to get saved. I want to give my life to Jesus. And I'll pray with you and speak with you. Or you just want to come and pray. If God is leading right now, would you stand? No one's looking around. All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. And as you stand and as you pray right now, you come.